This is episode number 35 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes of this podcast every Monday morning. You can find them at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, or of course, you can also find them on iTunes. The sponsor of this week's episode is... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's right. There are no sponsors. That's We're not like, roll. yeah, exactly. We're not like everyone else out there. No sponsors, uh, no sponsored case studies. We're not going to sell all of your names for those who are listening to this. To uh, some depends other how much company. you offer. So go ahead and send your emails with <laughs> offers and we'll consider them. Yeah, it's just us, the Bearded Marketers, giving you good advice and ideas, keeping you up to date with, with, with what is going on in the industry. So if you have any ideas for topics, give us a phone call. Rob has a dedicated hotline for your ideas. It goes to a hamburger phone mm-hmm. that he sits by 24-7. Number is 904-270-9603. If you have ideas for topics for the next episode or just stuck on something you don't even know where to go call in maybe share the information with everyone because sometimes we all struggle with something similar so all right so before we get into the topics that we're going to talk about we'd like to talk about our drinks so what are you doing tonight i'm doing goslings what kind of rum is it black rum black rum with coke zero vanilla interesting combo it's actually pretty good though a <laughs> couple of random things it did smoke a lot when i poured it and i think some lightning came down went in blindfolded on that combination how about um, you i'm doing a dark and stormy and ah. i will tweet out that recipe also including gosling's um, dark okay. rum but gotcha. like i said i'll tweet out that recipe like we always do every week what kind of ginger beer is that um goslings as always goslings everything so, so that's our sort of sponsor for this episode <laughs> goslings unofficial all right. all right let's go ahead and get started so tonight we're going to be covering a wide swath of topics we're going to be discussing gmail tabs what has shaken out from that big change link building is it dead hmm we will see email subject lines what are some things you need to consider when delving into the email marketing world and lastly Pinterest API, worth your time? Could it be a hidden gold mine or not worth anything? We will cover that at the end. So, Rob, Gmail tabs, enlighten us. Yeah, absolutely. So, for those of you who do not pay attention and don't have a Gmail account, uh, you should be disappointed what are you in yourself. Doing? Exactly. Uh, but about four months ago, Gmail rolled out a new tabbed interface that sort of separates, auto filters out different kinds of emails. So, Email notifications from Facebook and Twitter don't show up in your primary email inbox. They get filtered out into a separate folder. Likewise, promotional emails get filtered out as well. There was a lot of shakeup, obviously, when this first rolled out. Promotional emails were actually getting filtered out of people's primary inboxes, and it was pretty good at at knowing uh, which kinds of emails to filter out. So I would still get my emails from my main man, Corey, over here, but I wouldn't get all those promotional sales emails from... West Elm, J. Crew, you know, all these places. Mm-hmm. So here we are four months later. What has this actually amounted to? I mean, are click through and open rates much lower for promotional emails? Have things stayed the same? Do people. I mean, there were a lot of people crying about it. Exactly. You thought the world ended. Right. So. Well, there was actually a good, not a good strategy. I mean, debatable, but there was a strategy a lot of people were using, which was that let's just send out an email to all of our Gmail users, mm-hmm. specifically asking them to. Please, please drag us over. To right, the main exactly. Tab. Drag us over, which would essentially mean that all future promotional emails mm-hmm. from them would show up in the primary inbox. I don't. I don't know how. Do you know any stats of how effective some of those things were? I do not know any stats off the top of my head. I mean, I got a lot of them. I didn't do any of them, but <laughs> I'm a N of one. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. For the two of us, I don't think I ever did it either. So for whatever that means, one little thing that I've noticed over the last few months that I have done several times is that I've opened a promotional email and gone, okay, maybe this is interesting. I'll come back to this later, 
So I haven't deleted it, just mm-hmm. it's now red and completely forget about it because now it's not sure. my primary inbox anymore. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind. True. Stumble upon the promotions tab again in a few days and go, oh, the, well, there's oh, the that. sales over. Yeah, I do remember that email. Right, and exactly, sales over now. So mm-hmm. that has happened to me a few times. Anyway, let's get right into some stats here. So essentially, the takeaway from this is that no, nothing has really changed over the last four months. Open and engagement rates are still roughly the same across most industries. People, I guess sort of the way you could to look at this is that people have gotten used to the promotions tab. They understand what it's there for. People who were reading your emails before probably wanted them and are now looking for them in the promotions tab. So not much has changed, but let's go into some stats here. Um, 90% of promotional, so this speaks to the effectiveness of the promotions filtering that Gmail uses. 90% of promotional emails were effectively filtered out of the promotions tab. And 3% actually made it to the primary tab. So what are the click-through or sort of open rate differences? Sorry, open rate differences between the two. In the promotions tab, you're looking at generally a 14% read rate. In the primary tab, you're looking at a 24%. So 10 percentage point increase, pretty significant. But again, most emails are still getting filtered out automatically by Gmail pretty effectively. The other thing that they looked at was the percentage of users that are marketing marking their emails inside Gmail as spam, mm-hmm. right, which can have effect ultimately on your deliverability rates and maybe just a good rule of thumb too on how much you're pissing off your right. your users. You need to your strategy, your email. So, if your email shows up in the promotions tab, 0.12 percent of those are getting marked as spam. If it shows up in the primary tab, 0.2 6% of those are being marked as spam. So more than double the rate. Mm-hmm. Um, if your promotional email ends up in the primary tab, it's getting marked as spam much more often, which ultimately, like I said, can have a, an effect on your deliverability rates. I mean, it makes sense to me in general. If you're Even if you've set it up so that people, um, your drag it over here campaigns have worked effectively and now people are getting emails in their primary tab, they still feel better about emails that end up in a promotional tab as being promotional, right? So they're mm-hmm. not going to mark those as spam nearly as often. Right. So those are just a few interesting stats, takeaways um, about the new primary tab. If you're an email marketer out there, you don't need to worry too much about it. It's done. It's over with. Move on okay. to the next thing. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, one thing that would be interesting uh, maybe to follow up with them on as well is to see how conversion rates might have changed. You know, now that we are lumping all promotional emails into this separate tab, your competition for attention might be a bit different, uh, depending on in what order your email comes that people are reading it as, as if there's other companies' emails that are waiting to be read. So I wonder if, yes, the open rates may be roughly about the same, uh, but what about like click-throughs and purchases or lead capture, whatever it might be, um, because I might open an email at the same rate, but now I feel like there's kind of a rush to determine if this email is worth my time or not. If not, close it down, delete it or whatever, move on to the next, because I have four more promotional emails that are waiting for me mm-hmm. to be read now that they're lumped into this scenario. Um, but that'd just be interesting to kind of look into. I mean, you have the same probably kind of pressure uh, in the primary inbox if you have other emails waiting too. But it would be interesting to know now that there might be some different competition for attention. Well, I wonder if anything, like you said, there's probably different kinds of competition. So, for example, if I get a promotional email on my primary tab and right below it I see an email from my main man, Corey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm likely to maybe just completely ignore the promotional and skip it straight over to it, to the personal emails that I have Mm -hmm. or the more important emails I have. Um, 
but in a promotional email, maybe I'm just I'm totally looking for those promotional emails in that in that tab. Sure. So different kinds of competition, but still definitely significant competition. Sure. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know that. But anyway, so if you're doing email marketing, not really too much has shooken up. And even so, uh, with your efforts to, to try to maybe get into that primary tab, it might come with some negatives, as Rob was mentioning, with the uh, rates at which people are going to mark your emails with as spam and things like that. So some good information. We'll tweet out the uh, research on that so you can take a look for yourself. But some things to keep in mind. Moving right along. So if you own a business, you run any sort of website online, link building is something that you probably have heard about, or if not, you probably will at some point. It was a, and I would say still is probably the main driver in a lot of SEO type of campaigns that are worth anything. <laughs> well, actually, just sorry, just a little intro here. Um, I remember reading the the rankings from SEO Moz about mm-hmm. what's the most important factors and link building is still at the top of that gotcha. list. So. Okay, so good to know. And basically, if you're not aware of what that is, it's essentially building links back to your site in a way to build credibility, I guess would be the best way to put it mm-hmm. online. Search engines, especially back in the day, really heavily relied on links to your site to really have a mark of reliability and authority online. You know, they they saw it as, and they still do, other people are essentially voting for your site, that it's somewhere worthwhile to visit. Uh, and I've taken the time to give away some of my prime real estate to mention another company and their website. Um, so it should be considered a little bit more highly of with sites that didn't have it. As with anything on the internet, it became abused. So there has been a whittling away of some of the impact of some link building tactics. But all in all, as social has come onto the scene, I feel like link building has still taken a has taken a back seat. And people seem to have this odd idea that link building is really dead now. Um, that that search engines have gotten too smart. It doesn't really matter anymore. They're actually a detriment. You need to disallow links and all these types of things. Which some of that is all true. But There are quite a few number of articles, even Moz has a couple on this search engine land, uh, where people are really starting to evangelize that link building is is dead. And we kind of wanted to talk about that. I know Rob has a lot of experience in SEO. I do quite a bit of it as well. And really kind of wanted to set the record straight as what we see in a day-to-day type of sense, and that link building is still something that you really need to pay attention and work on. Now, it's always different business to business on where you're at and your maturity of a business and where what your goals are. If you're maintaining, if you're starting a brand new business, then your priorities for your SEO campaigns and tactics will change. But link building, and feel free to correct me, in my opinion, is still very far from dead, especially from reliable sources. Having links back to your site from authority places that Google deems or Yahoo or MSN as reliable and trustworthy places can mean a big deal to your site and greatly increase your traffic, not just because your visibility to visitors that are going to click on your link, but also when the search engine spiders go and discover that can really bring up your site's performance. Yeah, sort of like I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's it's still the number one most important factor in terms of um, SEO is is how many links and how high quality they are. So I mean, link building in and of itself, I think what's died with link building is are a lot of the tactics that people have used in the past, sure. and, and those are sort of like the blog spam, you know, the comment spam, the forum spam, all of those 
low quality, the article directory sites, those low quality methods of building links to your site, those don't work anymore. And those can actually probably do more harm than good now that Google has gotten much smarter at recognizing spammy sort of backlinks. Those methods of building links have died. But these still the high quality methods, which don't have the immediate effect and results that people are looking for online, those are the ways to build websites that stick around for years, that rank well for a wide variety of terms that are important in your industry. And even those head terms, those highly coveted tons of traffic terms you rank in those top few spots because you've been around for years and you've, you've put the time into to actually build links. Sure. That kind of stuff hasn't died. I don't think that that will die anytime soon. I don't um, either. I mean, I think that there's always a role to be played for having this sort of symbiotic relationship with search engines and building some rules around what we accept is trustworthy links. But it's essentially the internet's version of word of mouth marketing and trust and right. Sure, it can be abused, but the search engines have gotten pretty good at this point of creating their own rule set and understanding what is actually spam and what is not. So as long as you're playing within those bounds, I don't see this going away anytime soon. I think that it's still worth your time to engage in link building. Now, Google has also allowed certain tools to help clean up your backlinks because if you're in a business that has been around for a long time, chances are at some point... Someone who didn't really know what they were doing hired a link building company to build them links and they ended up spamming the internet with 10,000 links on a variety of terrible pages that at this point are actually, as you were talking about, doing more harm than good. So along with link building, I think that something that doesn't really get considered a lot is disallowing links and trying to distance yourself away from poor links as well. Uh, And I think that's also kind of playing into some of this link building is dead is because Google has been talking in particular a lot about bad links and that they can be detrimental to your site. They rolled out the disavow link tool and Matt Cutts has actually had a couple of videos as of recently talking about bad links, which I think is kind of ginned up this link building set. Don't do any of that sort of thing because mm-hmm. it's just going to negatively impact your site over time, which I think is actually far from the truth. It just means you can't be lazy with it. And you can't rely on tactics that are of yesteryear. You have to spend the time and get your hands dirty and do the the non-sexy side of link building that can take a lot of time. And you might not net, you know, a hundred or a thousand links in a month like you were used to. It might just be three good ones. But the impact to your site and what that provides you from a ranking standpoint, can be worth your time as long as you have your strategy spelled out well. And I know that you have some experience on some tried and true methods to get some yeah, good links. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I want to share them live here right. on the air. Get in touch with us if you want to know some of our <laughs> secret methods. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly it. It's The kind of SEO that we do on our own sites are those methods that get us a few links a month, but they're worth it. They cost mm-hmm. a lot of money because it, you know it takes a lot of time and effort Sure. To get those links, but they're worth it because they're worth 10,000 of those other lower quality links mm-hmm. uh, years ago. Those methods are still working today. They just don't give you those kind of results that people expect now with internet marketing. Mm-hmm. They want to just go buy some ads on Facebook. They want to buy some paid search ads, whatever, whatever. Let's just get a bunch of traffic. SEO takes longer than that now. So link building, dead? Absolutely not. Do you need to change up your strategy? Probably. Let's move right along 
since I had so much fun talking about, let's go back to email <laughs> and talk about some subject line testing that MailChimp has conducted and with some interesting research that you had some numbers on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> we're here, obviously, here in the holiday season. and I know the next topic you're going to be talking about Pinterest has some... Cinnamon broom time <laughs> is here. Has some relevancy towards <laughs> that. But also emails. I mean, obviously, that's a huge um, email send rates i feel like go through the roof during these next especially these next couple weeks here it's going to be getting a little crazy so any edge you can get over your competition matters makes a difference i'm going to tell you about some strategies to take in your email subject lines that can help to increase open rates got a couple different strategies here we'll give you some stats so first one is name personalization everyone's seen it Dear Rob, what is that black magic? How do I they have know? this amazing offer for you, right? So mm-hmm. you, at some point you gave them your name, but MailChimp is actually where we're pulling some of these stats from. They did a study and they found that using first and last name actually has the highest open rate over using last name only or first name only. Obviously, it's actually on the end of the list of most popular methods to use for subject lines. No one uses first and last name, and that may actually be why it gets the highest open rate. I do notice it on spam emails, and like we were talking about before, maybe that's why we see it there. I mean, back in the day when we were doing some interesting, more questionable questionable (laughs) adventures, uh, when you get into the spam, the affiliate world in particular, you have to be very bleeding edge because your competition is very cutthroat. And I do see name personalization a lot on some of these spam emails. And I think that might be the case because they actually know it does work uh, because they have to, again, be pretty bleeding edge. So yeah, that's where I actually see it more op- yeah, often. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a really good point. I mean, a 33% increase in open rate because you're including someone's first and last name. Is Did you hear that? What was that number again? 33%. That's massive. <laughs> that's a holiday gift for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, using last name only, which I, I'm trying to think of a subject line where that would actually make sense. But I'm having a hard time. That leads Insert to first a first name, right? <laughs> right, like you didn't give them your first name, so it's a mistake, actually. Right. And that's a 17 percent increase okay. in open rate using first name only, which is the most common method that most people use. That's only a nine percent increase. I feel like a lot of people use that, though. Yeah, it's it feels easy. It feels mm-hmm. uh, personal, but it, it actually may have gotten to the point now where it's become too common. People like completely desensitized. Yeah, completely desensitized to those kinds of email subject lines. Mm-hmm. So again, take away first and last name only, 33%. Do they give any uh, styling tips on that? So 33%, do they give any sort of like standardized first and last name at the beginning somewhere in the subject line? Corey, we can't give away everything. Right, you got to right. leave some up Contact to the Contact us if you would like <laughs> to know some of the secrets. Yeah. Yeah, so so there's some tips uh, in terms of using names in there to get some uh, percentage increases in your open rates. Here's another one that we see a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily relevant as much during the holiday season here, but using the word free in your subject line, mm-hmm. obviously a good way to try to get Played filtered out in your out. spam folder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something you definitely need to be careful with. Using the word free in and of itself only increases open rates by 2%. So people... They don't believe that anymore. They don't even care that you're saying free. Right. That actually may speak to as well the fact that you're getting filtered out and not even (laughs) um, in the inbox. Any potential impact, any potential increase in open rate is being destroyed by the fact that you're not making it to the inbox. Sure. And also, you know, I will say this is getting more theoretical, but be careful of 
who you're attracting. A lot of companies that we work with like to go these free routes and things like that, but understand that your marketing message appeals to a certain type of person depending on your messaging. And a lot of goes into that with brand management, things like that. But sometimes, yes, you can get more attention and visits with things like free, but is that going to really translate to the most amount of revenue for your company at the end of the day? Or are you just essentially garnering attention temporarily, but you're essentially marketing to the wrong group? Mm-hmm. you're going after the cheap asses that aren't going to spend much money or looking real, just real. for the free stuff. And at the end of the day, free stuff doesn't put money in the bank. And I think that people need to get a little bit more intelligent than always kind of just going down that free route. Cause I don't think that that necessarily works out in the lifetime value of that customer sometimes. And uh, you need to really reassess that. But so free percent that gives you two percent, which is actually probably in the margin of error from any right. sort of statistical. Yeah, exactly. Test. So if you are actually giving something away, don't say free. Say freebie. Okay. Okay. This is free the latest, B. latest, hottest. Okay. This is the new hotness. Not twenty B, but freebie. Freebie. Twenty. <laughs> Furbies. What is that like? Two decades ago. Sorry, we might have some young listeners that don't know what Furbies are. <laughs> freebie. Twenty six percent increase in open rate, though. So that actually does work. What was that number again? Twenty six. We're up to like 60% on your emails already. Yeah, this episode exactly. was worth your time. You can make your checks payable to the bearded marketers. <laughs> or by us Gosling, <laughs> sponsored. Send us a check. Um, so obviously, if you're going to use free, say freebie. I think that's just more to, to, well, two things. One is it's not as common. Mm-hmm. It sticks out. It's kind of a weird word. Two, it seems like something maybe your friend would send you. Like yeah, it doesn't seem like something a company language. would say. A company sure. wouldn't say freebie. But if you do... 26% increase in open rates. So nice. there you go. A couple nice. tips. Increase your open rates. 26% promotional wow. emails more effective this holiday season. All right. So if you're not swimming in the money after our email tips today, I don't know what you're doing wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> So moving right along, Pinterest API. So perhaps API might be getting a little bit technical for some of our listeners. But basically, it's just a way for you to communicate to different companies, request or send information. It's just basically like a uh, a decoder, if you will, of how you need to send or receive information from them to arrive at something. Anyways, Pinterest has released a new and improved API, which allows you to delve not only into the visitors that are coming into your site or have the integration of being able to put Pinterest buttons on everything that that's pretty easy at this point, Mm -hmm. but they've rolled in more advertising, but also the ability to pull trending and popular items on Pinterest. And for certain companies, this is actually paying out pretty well. And they have some really interesting integrations that I think some companies should probably take some note in and consider if it would be worth your time uh, to do depending on how much, how reliable Pinterest is for you to gauge your demographic. So for things like women's clothing or even things like food and certain demographics where Pinterest is super, super strong, I think that this new API can really do a lot for your business that you maybe didn't know was possible. So let's walk through some of these integrations. First, we're going to talk about merchandising. So there's a company out called ModCloth, and they specialize and doing women's clothing. But what they're actually leveraging the Pinterest API to do is create a section of their site that appeals to Pinterest visitors. So it's their Pinterest section, 
But what they're using the Pinterest API for is pulling in what are popular products that they sell in that certain category and displaying that in a category grid. So for people that number one, trust Pinterest and use it frequently, this creates an experience that they feel like is custom to them. And now they can see what is the hotness on Pinterest that all my friends are pinning so I can buy it and show it in their face that I am trendy. (laughs) So I thought that that was a really cool integration. Instead of really relying on your store information of what is trendy, now we can create an experience for people that love Pinterest on saying not only... On our store, are these things popular, but people on Pinterest are loving these items, and you will too because everyone's pinning these things like crazy. So they're leveraging Pinterest to really kind of garner a sort intelligence into their catalog gotcha. outside of their own shoppers, which I, I thought was really I cool. I wonder if this could almost backfire for certain shoppers. I think the overall impact is probably a good one. But mm-hmm. for example, for someone like me, I mean, I don't particularly use Pinterest, but for people who have the same mindset as me, if I see that something is particularly popular on Pinterest, okay, now I know I'm not getting that. Because everyone's going to have that. Exactly. You got to have Yeah, I don't think that's a typical user, though. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, No offense. Well, I think with a lot of other things with Pinterest, I mean, it's it's doing the arts and crafts and those things like that that are actually, you're supposed to present it as if, oh, I came up with this on my own. What if you have something that, oh, yeah, I saw that on Pinterest, well... It's not as unique and cool anymore. True, so true. you may use it as a filter to okay, I'm going to p- okay, pick those things it. that aren't actually popular. Oh, that's a good interest. idea. Good anyway, idea. just a little, just a little thing. So that is how ModCloth is using it. Two others that I wanted to go over quickly. Target is actually using a very similar integration where they're integrating pins in their category pages, and they actually are matching suggestions to the users and based on what they are actually have pinned on their boards as well. So Target is actually pulling in dynamic catalog items based on any pin board information that they can pull on Pinterest of you and that they sell like items. Now, that is amazing. (laughs) I wonder how good that actually is. We'll see. But what's also interesting, they take it one step further, is when you roll over a thumbnail of an item, it also pops out a new level of cross-sells that are related to that trending item that they're also seeing some interest in Pinterest as well. So based on people that have viewed that on Pinterest or pinned it, once you start interacting with that item, they slide out a cross-sell section of, you might also be interested in these because we see some Pinterest traffic on this for people that have also pinned that item. Very smart integration. Target, We're getting mad so props. deep right now. <laughs> We're going down the layers. <laughs> exactly. So that's those are some e-commerce Examples. What about us that maybe deal in content? Well, the Beard Marketers has you covered. Take a look at Whole Foods. So this is someone that doesn't really sell online. They are really just kind of a brand that presents themselves online, but they deal in physical stores. But what they have on their site is they leverage Pinterest's API to actually pull in trending recipes that might use products that they sell. So they go out into Pinterest. They have their categories and products set up. They go and try and scrape popular recipes that are on the site that you can use Whole Foods ingredients in to create delicious dishes. And now they don't have... What's awesome about that is when you're starting a recipe section, 
that kind of takes some time to get up and going. You got to wait for people to submit their recipes. You have to throw out a bunch of crap ones that aren't very good. And now what they can leverage is Pinterest to pull in all of these recipes that are super popular with people without relying on user generated content. Brilliant. So Pinterest API, if you think your demographic matches, I would argue that there's quite a few people that don't really realize the power of Pinterest, even in their own business, can really leverage their new API to pull in some great experiences on your site, whether it's new recipe section, whether it is cross-selling items based on people that are viewing like items, or even pulling in new category pages based on popular items on Pinterest. You can do a lot with it. Take a look. We'll tweet out the link. Might be a game changer for you. Last item we'll throw in there as a freebie. Since we did talk about SEO for a little bit, Yahoo last week actually came out and said they were a bit troubled that the NSA was able to intercept a lot of their information. Whether that's true or not, we will not comment. But <laughs> but as a result, they are moving to encrypt the data between all of their centers uh, that process all their search information, but also wrapped up into that they are also moving to secure search, which if you deal with anything in related to analytics will know that is why most of your keyword information has disappeared from Google because they now encrypt all searches. Yahoo is slated now, which is probably also going to be Bing as well, to have the same integration in 2014. So what little keyword information you have now is going to be bye-bye by the end of next year. Just so you can prepare yourself mentally, maybe take a spa day uh, <laughs> for the impending crying that will be coming. Yeah. But just be aware that Yahoo is also and Bing are moving down the same road as Google. So keyword information is going to be a little bit more difficult to come by. They'll probably wrap it up in their webmaster tools, similar to what Google did. They're going to have to. Just be aware that that kind of stuff is coming. So your analytics tools might have to be augmented with some other things. So that's it for episode number 35. Covered a wide range of topics, but that's what we like to do. So give us a call, 904-270-9603. Have a topic for suggestion, want to be on the show? Go ahead and fulfill your application out there. Give Rob a call on the hamburger phone. Or if there's something that you're struggling with and you don't really know where to turn, give us a call and it might make it onto the show if we think that other people might be struggling with it as well. Rob and I have a lot of experience in the industry and we also know quite a few people. So if we can't help you out, we'll get you in contact with someone that can and maybe feature it on the show. But until next time, this is the Beard Markers, episode number 35, and we will see you next week.